भद्रम कर्णेसृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुवागंसस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवाह स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्ती नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शांत शांत शांति मे बी हियर विथ ओर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पीशियस may we see with our eyes what is auspicious while praying with steady limbs may we attain the life span allotted to us so that's what's the meaning of the shanti mantra that let with the ears what we hear be auspicious with the eyes like bhadram karne bhisrani amadeva with our ears whatever we hear let that be auspicious bhadram pashye that most probably because of our lifestyle sometime we don't live the life which was allotted to us we cannot live through eternity but sometime we cannot we just end our life because of our faulty way of living so here it actually indicates that if we hear everything auspicious if we see everything auspicious if that that way we can take care of our psychophysical well being that steady limbs with that steady limbs i pray those are the factors which will enter in living the entire life to its entirety so that i get the scope to evolve spiritually in this life itself if my life is shortened i miss the scope dying and again taking birth as per the theory of reincarnation that so much wastage of time again that you go through the childhood process of education all those years are as such for your spiritual journey is waste if we can continue in the one life for a longer period of time we could evolve much more spiritually so it's not just for a longer life that this prayer is for uh this increasing the life span it is actually to use the life for spiritual pursuits so that's why that i should live in such a way which is healthy for my mind which is healthy for my body so that i can live the entire life span allotted to us and for that my own endeavor alone is not sufficient the other factors should also be favorable so all the forces the divine forces of nature they should also be favorable swastina indra vridhasravaha means let indra indra is the god of rain swasti na pusha pushan is the god of earth if the earth is not fertile if there is not sufficient rain 
because again of our faulty way of living, as we have already disturbed the ecological balance, the rain has become scarce, the earth is no more fertile. So what happens even if subjectively I may be leading a quiet controlled life, but collectively, as we have not taken care of the environment, if there is not sufficient food, if there is the air is not pure, what will yoga do to me? What will my lifestyle do to me? So here again, after praying for my own psychophysical well-being, here awareness for the ecological balance is also defined in the prayer that Indra, Swastina Indra Vridhasrava, that may Indra whose glory is great bestow his well-being on us. Swastina Pusha Vishwaveda, the Pushan, the God of Earth, he's all-knowing. Let him bestow well-being on us. Swasti Nastaksha Arishtanemi. May Garura, this the god of wind, may he destroy the evil. He, bestow, he let him bestow the well-being on us. Swasti Navrihaspati Radhatu. Let all the planets be favorable to our existence. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So you're taking care of your own psychophysical well-being. You're taking care of the collective well-being of the environment, of the ecological balance, these, when these are assured, then only I can think of my spiritual growth. So the three shantis represent the three types of hindrances which we find in our day-to-day -day life. What are the three hindrances? Adhyatmik, Adhidaivik, Adhibhautik. Adhyatmik, because of the lifestyle because of my wrong lifestyle, all the diseases, all the sickness which I develop because of my faulty lifestyle is adhyatmic, is because of my own. So first shanti is just to take care of that. That let me try to live the life in such a way that I myself don't become the problem for my well-being. The next shanti is adhidaiva, adhidaiva. Means all the natural forces like the tsunami, cyclone. Now we find again it is because of our collective faulty lifestyle, because of the global warming. What's happening? The cyclones are more stronger. We find that, that we have disturbed the environment in such a way that it in, way, in a way is not favorable for our existence. So the second Shanti speaks of Adhi Daiva, Adhi Daiva, Adhyatmik, Adhi Daiva, and Adhi Bhuta. Adhi Bhuta means there, are, there, there is supposed to be danger from the other beings, other animals. In the olden days, the predators were there. Anytime they may attack. Nowadays, the predators are not there. But again, because of our faulty lifestyle, our predator, the, from where the life started, the virus, the bacteria, they have become our predator. So again, it speaks of our lifestyle, our day-to-day -day life. For the real peace, whether it is Adhidaiva, Adhyatmik, or Adhibhuta, we have to be a, we have to live a very controlled, disciplined life. And that way, we take care of ourselves as well as for the collective well-being of the entire world. And these two are interrelated. If the collective well-being is not taken care of, I, can I myself can never 
think of my own well-being. Like a cancerous cell, if we just think of my own welfare, at last, along with the cancer, the, along with the entire body, the cancer cells are also going to die. When the cancer cell is growing within the body, it creates a wreck inside the body. Why? It starts growing in its own pace. It takes the nutrients from the body and its own pace, it starts growing without maintaining the balance with the entire body. That's what speaks of the consumerist society in the present day. The consumerist, the consumerist society thinks that for my well-being, I can exploit others. They forget that we, in the name of exploiting others, are growing like a cancerous cell, carcinogenic cells. In a cancerous cells, what happens when a person, because of cancer at last, dies? The cancer cell also has to die. It has to die along with the body. So ultimately, it never speaks of its own welfare. So here also we should remember that the entire creation is dependent on this law of interdependence. Everything is interdependent. No one can stay apart from the others. So all the Shanti mantras, in a way or other, indicates this wonderful balance between my well-being as well as the collective well-being. Uh, my well-being is never at the cost of the collective well-being. We have to be always aware of this interdependence and that in the words of Swamiji, Atmana Mokshartam Jagathitayacha. All our endeavor should be for my own liberation as well as well as well as for the welfare of the entire existence. So that's what the Shanti Mantra indicates. And this is the mantra we will chant uh, before the Mundukopanishad class. Every week when we have this Mundukopanishad class, this is the Shanti Mantra. Every Upanishad has its own Shanti Mantra. This is the Shanti Mantra of uh, Mundaka Upanishad and we will chant it before the class starts. Now just let us have an overview of the Mundaka Upanishad. As we all know, this Upanishad is a portion of the Vedas. The Vedas consists of this Mantra Sanghita. Mantras, Sanghita, Aranyakas, and these Upanishads. What actually speaks of this Mantra, Samhita, Aranyaka, Upanishad? To understand it in a very simple way. Mantras, what are the mantras? Mananath, Trayate, Iti Mantra. When a illumined soul, a Rishi, discovers some perennial truth, the perennial truth is already there. It's not the, it is not the fertile product of the intelligent brain of the rishis. They are just the discoverers. They discover, they remove the covering. Just the way gravitation was always there. Newton discovered he, what he did, that the knowledge which was not known to the entire humankind, he removed the covering of that ignorance and we came to know about gravitation. Similarly, we will find in the entire Vedas, very few rishis name has been mentioned. Such a huge profound ideas are there, but no mention of names. They were humble, they were quite humble enough to understand this, to realize this fact that knowledge cannot be patented. Knowledge is universal and it is always there. We just discover, remove the covering. So all the rishis through their spiritual illumination, whatever the eternal laws, 
are existing. They revealed it, they discovered it. And those are the mantras. And when we contemplate on them, we can also discover the ignorance, remove the ignorance. And revelation can happen in our life also through those mantras. That's why the mantra is Mananath Trayate Iti Mantra. The thing which you go on cogitating upon that can liberate you. Trayate. That is mantra. So these mantras, now in our day-to-day life we find that what that out of devotion when I'm going to offer my prayers to the divine, I have my emotions, I have my feelings. But I am, I am at loss of words that how to praise the divine. So what we do, we also will be uh, searching for some song which relates to my feeling. I will be relating to some poem which relates to my feeling. And I use them to adore the divine. Even nowadays we do, this internet is there. Suppose for a great program, the chief quest is yeah, we have invited someone as chief guest. We do have feeling, but how to address him? We have a prepared, prepared notes that all the words we have chosen so that with that, my emotions can be reflected. So these mantras are the thing which when, when we collect them to offer our prayers to the divine. That becomes Sanghita. The word Samhita means collection. Collection of the mantras is the Samhita. Now for all the rituals, this Samhita is the portion. The mantra, now this collection of the mantra is the Samhita for all the Vedic Karma Kanda to relate to the divine, the, the feelings, this, all these uh, compositions, all these collection of mantras together became the Samhita. Now even in our day-to-day life, what happens when every year I am doing a certain puja? When I was in India, every year I was attending Durga Puja, I myself was involved in it. Now, when I am in a different country, the scope to get involved in that puja is not there. But as I am already habituated with that puja, now a wonderful thing happens. When the time of the puja is there, I sit down. All the things are in my mind. There is no need to do the rituals. Just by contemplating all those mantras and visualizing that as if I'm offering by repeating the mantras, you get the same benefit. A wonderful satisfaction comes just by mentally cogitating on all the things with which you're already well versed. So that's why uh, for the novices, always this ritualistic worship is prescribed. But we find that people never insist for the one who has been who has been practicing these rituals for quite long. It's no more required. Because even without doing the rituals, those bhavas, those feelings have already been internalized. You need not have to do those rituals physically. So even in the Vedic time, we find the vana prastis, those who have become quite aged, old, they don't have sufficient strength nor have sufficient means to conduct those elaborate rituals. But they have done it for such a long time, just by mentally cogitating upon it, they get ineffable joy, ineffable bliss. So that speaks of upasana. So we will find that 
for the grihasthas, all this sanghita is there for doing all those elaborate karma kandas. That gets converted into upasana in the aranyakas. Now, as you do those worships mentally, the process of purification is more intense. That takes you to that ultimate dispassion. And now from that dispassion, the Upanishads are revealed, which speaks of the Brahma Jnana, the knowledge of the Brahman, which alone can liberate us. That through all this process, it all helped us in regimenting our mind, disciplining our mind. Now with that calm mind, we can at last resort to that, the study of the Upanishads. So you will find this is a wonderful structure. Nothing has been denounced. Secular knowledge, spiritual knowledge, both are okay. They have their role to play at particular stage of life, holding on to which at last we gradually have evolved to get established in that Brahma Vidya. All the Upanishads belong to that, the last, the Vedanta, which is after the Aranyaka. So all the Vedas you will find have uh, some a few of the Upanishads. All, all these Upanishads are linked to the Vedas. Now this Mundaka Upanishad is a part of Atharva Veda. Another important Upanishad, which is a part of Atharva Veda, is the Prashna Upanishad. This Prashna Upanishad and the Mundaka Upanishad are complementary. If you study both together, you will find that each complements the other. The ideas have been reinforced in the other. So these are the two Upanishads which we find in the Atharva Veda. Now what's the word Mundaka means? Let us come to that. The word Mundaka is derived from from a root which means shaving. Means just the way we shave our head, shave our beard, that's shaving. Why the Upanishad has been named that Mundaka, which means to shave, shaving? Because just like the sharpness of the razor, this Upanishad enables us to cut off the man's ignorance, like a razor. It's such a sharp razor. So in that sense, the word Mundaka has been used. In another sense, to a certain extent, it is a literal meaning that this Upanishad is meant for the seven-headed sannyasins. Means as it speaks of Brahma Vidya, it has nothing to do with the Karma Kanda. So those who have renounced the so-called worldly way of living and have established themselves in that type of lifestyle where they can have an unceasing contemplation of the Brahman, of that absolute reality, of that imperishable reality. This Upanishad is meant for those seven-headed sannyasis. So that's why again it is called Mundaka Upanishad. So after renouncing all actions prescribed for the householders, uh, these devotees themselves will be cultivating this Brahma Vidya. So as these seven-headed sannyasins, for them this text is meant, so that's why again it is called Mundaka Upadisha. So these are the two meanings which we can interpret for the word Mundaka. So one, it cuts off the ignorance and the next is the it's meant for sannyasins. That's why it is Mundaka Upanishad. Then why we are studying? Those who are here all studying are not the sannyasins. 
yes as sri ramakrishna used to say very nicely that a the one who has left his hearth and home and taken the taken sanyasa for them renunciation is both physical as well as mental but for a householder as he is already stuck up with his household life these responsibilities he cannot forsake but at the same time we cannot deny the fact that while leading the householder's life the way we were going headlong with the worldly ways of life uh, as a young person as we start aging mentally we find that lot of detachment has come that we do have to stay in the house along with the family but the detachment has ensued mentally so should they be deprived from this knowledge no so for them also for such person also though externally they may be appearing as a householder but they also are entitled to be sanyasins as sri ramakrishna used to say that the householders should renounce mentally and now for that upanishad again becomes a means for severing the bond of worldly attachments and getting established more and more in one's own real nature that's what the word upanishad means so the shad the shad is a verbal root which means to destroy to loosen to loosen to destroy is shad and the shad verbal root is prefixed with two prefixes one is upa and another is ni what it means upa means to approach when you approach this upanishad the one who is established in the knowledge of the upanishad you approach the upanishad you approach guru who is shrotriya who is well versed in the scripture in the upanishads who has living the life as per the scripture he is a shrotriya so you approach him upanishad approach after approaching what do you do it's not mere physical presence sravana manana that what he is speaking i hear but i should have shraddha many things i won't understand there will be a gap of understanding some of the things i may think is totally irrational but if i have shraddha what that will give me sufficient humility to understand that most probably it is my lack of understanding he is one who is established in that knowledge what he is speaking must be true i at present am not up to it so let me not doubt the scripture let me not doubt the words of the master let me try to cogitate upon what he is saying that is manana it happens in our day to day life when at the uh, as in a, as a school student when we hear about the scientific discoveries and we ask the teacher how to prove it einstein's theory of relativity can you prove it to me and then the teacher says that you are now in the lower class it's almost impossible for you to intellectually understand the proof of these equations just believe it go through your education as you go to the higher classes you will be skilled enough to understand the proof of all those equations e is equal to mc square a school student can he understand the proof of it no you have to go to the graduation level or the post graduation level 
to understand how that equation is derived. So here also, let me not doubt the knowledge which has been spoken of. I have, I, let, me be, let me be humble enough to accept the fact that my understanding is not up to it. So for that, what I do, that's the way for secular education, what I do, I go on cogitating. Gradually that knowledge dawns in me. Here also that cogitation on the words of the scripture, what I have heard, Sravana, that results in Manana. Through that cogitation, it's time comes when I develop an intellectual conviction. So Upa means going to the Guru, listening and cogitating. That's Upa. That is a way of approaching. This, when you have that conviction, then what happens? Then I just having an intellectual conviction doesn't entail getting established in spiritual life. Sometimes we find that after hearing the spiritual truth, it gives us a sense of relaxation. It gives us a conviction Oh, now the problems of life, I can handle them easily. But when the problems come, I find that knowledge is not helping me. Why? That knowledge has remained in the intellectual level. It hasn't been internalized. So we have to go on meditating upon our intellectual conviction so that it forms a groove in our mind. It becomes a sanskara. It becomes internalized. And then only we can think of spiritual illumination. So after approaching the Guru, that Upa means approaching. After approaching, I hear, I hear, I listen, and I cogitate. These are all Upa. Now, Ni is Nididhyasana. Once through the cogitation, I develop that intellectual conviction. Now I have to meditate on that conviction. All the mantras given by the Guru is something first which has to be cogitated upon. When you are definite about its meaning, now you have to meditate upon it. Go on meditating upon it till it takes you to the realization, till it severs, severs your bondage, till it breaks your ignorance and renders you free. That shad means breaking, destroying. So by approaching the Guru, having uh, then listening to the guru, cogitating upon it, and then meditating upon your intellectual conviction can lead to the destruction of ignorance. That's what the meaning of the word Upanishad is. So this, like many other Upanishads, this Mundaka Upanishad also is in the form of dialogue, where we find there's a, it's a starts with a dialogue between the disciple and his teacher, the student and his teacher. The name of the disciple is Sonaka. He is a very wealthy householder, but through the process of his life, he has developed detachment, renunciation. He has developed sufficient purity of his mind. So he's fully qualified for Brahma Vidya. What are those qualifications are? As we proceed to study the Upanishad mantra by mantra, we will come to the discussion in details. Just for the time being, for our introduction, let us understand that this Saunaka is a one who is fully qualified for Brahma Vidya and he approaches his teacher. 
His teacher's name is Angirasa. So this will come in the Upanishad, and the very Upanishad starts with a very interesting question. Shonaka asks his preceptor Angirasa the question: "Kasminu bhagavo vigyate sarvam idam vigyatam bhavatiti." So, reverend sir, is there anything by knowing which everything else is known? So that's the so the entire endeavor of the Upanishad is to go to the source, not to the details. That all the details which I see, it's almost impossible to know them one by one. It is almost limitless. But is there any source? by knowing which everything is known so with that question the upanishad starts kasminnu bhagavo vigyate sarvam idam vigyatam bhavati iti reverse sir what is that by knowing which all this means whatever i see this phenomenal existence that becomes known so now the answer instead of giving a direct answer we will find the rishi angiras is speaking of two types of knowledge one is lower knowledge and another is higher knowledge para and apara vidya so why he is speaking so and what actually is lower knowledge and the higher knowledge speaks of apara the lower knowledge speaks of all the secular knowledge all the knowledge which we get from our university is apara in those days the karma kanda of the vedas to understand those karma kanda there there were some vedangas auxiliary studies for the vedas those vedas vedangas astrology so many things were there all those subjects all the knowledge which pertains to this secular world are all categorized as apara and what is para yat aksharam adhigamyate the spara knowledge the para the highest knowledge is that by which that imperishable truth the brahman is known everything else is the lower knowledge then if the para vidya is the thing which is higher then what's the need for this lower knowledge so here we find the beauty of the vedas and the upanishads they have not discarded that lower knowledge is to be discarded that also is required unless through the experience of life by holding on to this lower knowledge so called secular knowledge we evolve so as to be competent enough to uh start our endeavor in getting established in that spiritual knowledge this apara vidya do have a role to play we simply cannot just simply renounce it from the very beginning and that's the mistake we have done for thousands of years and that speaks of the degradation of the indian culture it was not so in the vedic times the vedic time the society was structured wonderfully and there if you understand the structure of the vedic society you will understand the importance of both the para and the apara vidya apara vidya was needed as we know in the vedic society 
there were four ashramas brahmacharya grihastha vanaprastha sanyasa brahmacharya is a studentship in the vedas it is mentioned that the life span of human is 100 years it's only in the puranas we find that where it is mentioned rishis are there for thousands of years and all mentioned but in the vedas in the so called the vedanta in the upanishads nowhere it is mentioned that a human being uh, life span was for 1000 years puranas came much later and there along with the facts many thing of our what you said which is a fertile product of our imagination has got mixed up there but in the vedas we find there's nowhere mentioned jiji vishet shatang sama 100 years the human being's life span is 100 years that's what is mentioned in the isha upanishad in many other upanishads it's indicated and this 100 years was divided into four parts each of 25 years the first 25 years is the studentship the brahmacharya the next 25 years is the grihastha as a householder the following 25 years the next 25 years is the vanaprastha and the last 25 years is designated for sanyasa what actually it signifies now very interesting this all these four stages of life were called ashrama shrama means endeavor a prefix in sanskrit is used to used in the sense of encompassment from beginning to end a prefix is used ashrama means the stage of life in which from the beginning of that stage of life to the end of that stage of life it is full of endeavor so human in the human life in the vedic society there was no concept of retirement there was no retirement only the nature of your endeavor will change but you have to endeavor they were all ashramas sanyasa is also an ashrama studentship the brahmachari is also an ashrama grihastha is also an ashrama vanaprastha is also an ashrama only the nature of endeavor is changed so what was the nature of the endeavor to understand the nature of endeavor there is the concept of four purusharthas the goal of life what are the purusharthas it's not that only liberation moksha is the goal there are four purusharthas purusharthas dharma artha kama moksha very interesting again dharma what dharma speaks not in the sense of the way the religion we think dharma means internalizing of values that was the education in the vedic time it was not just mere academic knowledge it was just not it was not the knowledge to gather facts how to internalize the values we know the do's and don'ts and those has to be internalized i should become an integrated personality otherwise i cannot be a productive member of the society so before becoming a householder the first 25 years as a brahmachari the purushartha which i have to endeavor for was dharma to become an integrated person be knowledgeable and that knowledge should speak of internalizing of your values as sri ramakrishna used to say that in the present world education is just like a vulture flying high up in the sky it flies up high in the sky but its total focus is on the carrion rotten flesh somewhere rotting in the pit 
means though it's very high, its focus is on something very lowly, something very, very dirty. So Ramakrishna says the present education is like that with all our academic education, we find we are extremely sometimes selfish, always thinking how we can exploit others. So that was not the education of a Brahmachari. His education was meant to internalize the values. Now when he becomes a man, an integrated person, now he is allowed to enter the state of Grihastha at the age of 25, from 25 to 50. Now, as a Grihastha, very interesting. What is his goal of life? Artha and Kama. You accrue wealth, earn wealth, and have the sensitive pleasures of life. They're not saying that you should be a very restricted person. Kama, Artha, everything is okay. But it has to be guided by Dharma. That's why that first 25 years were meant for internalizing the values. If I ever internalize the values, there is no question of family violence as a family person. So that's the importance that you leave a family life, you accrue wealth, but you should do it as an integrated person in a lawful way, in a way where I don't exploit others. It speaks of synergy. It speaks of win-win situation. I prosper, you also prosper. My prosperity is not at the cost of your prosperity. And that's the state of Grihastha, where Artha and Kama, both are allowed, but that should be guided by Dharma. And now you will find for Artha and Kama, all the secular knowledge becomes inevitable. Even the present day world, all our science, technology, all comes under that Aparavidya. Go for it. But the Vedic society also they realized a time comes. At the beginning, at the, at the in my youth, I thought that Artha and Kama is the only goal. But when I have sufficient wealth, when I have got certain position in life, I reach a plateau. There's no goal as if ahead. The life seems to be totally tasteless. All its taste has gone. All its interest in the life has gone. We go through that midlife crisis. And that's the time we have to shift our awareness. Not merely, we should not be just merely interested in earth and karma. What's the purpose of life? Is there a higher goal? Is the life just meant to accrue some wealth, some position in life, old age comes, disease, death, and we just die like any other animals? Is the life for that? Or is the life having some other dimension? for which this present world is just a kindergarten. It's just a school where we are getting prepared for that. And this portal opens up when I've reached that plateau. Enough of wealth, enough of uh, position and power in life. All those I have got, but they cannot give me the ultimate happiness, the ultimate satisfaction. And then the pursuit for the higher values of life is bound to come. And that's the stage of Vanaprastha. Now the Upanishads, the Aranyakas, the Upanishads, they become a part of your life, which opens up the portal for some the spiritual dimension of your existence. So now the importance of that Paravidya, 
dawns in your life. So now you will find the importance of both. We go through the life. We go through all the experiences, enjoy the life, but at the same time, do it in a moral way. Why? The, to have the higher purpose of life, unless we have led a very integrated life. My life is to, for what it will end up? Shattered family. And I may find myself totally, my wealth has gone, everything is gone. And with that state of existence, I can never think of having some higher pursuits of life. So that's why that integrity is very important. With that, when you pursue for wealth, pursue for uh, uh, sunset pleasures, this you are bound to reach a state of satiety where the higher questions are bound to come. That stability of life will give you the dissatisfaction to question the meaning of life. And then the you enter the state of Vanaprastha, where Nididhyasana becomes your way of life. You start this the cogitating on the spiritual truths, meditating upon it. And it takes some time to be an adept in it. Once you become adept, now comes the final severance. You lead, you go to that life of sannyasa. So now you will find in that life of sannyasa, this is the Upanishad, this is the knowledge which, holding unto which, you can cross the raft of this ocean, this world of Maya, this ocean of Maya. So both are required. So that's why when it was asked, when the uh, Sonak asked Angirasa, that what's that by knowing which everything can be known? He didn't go directly to that. First, he mentioned that there are two types of knowledge, para, apara. Both has an importance. And in, as we understood this, that both the knowledge has importance, we would find that in the Vedic society, there are rishis in one side. And those rishis, very proudly, some, some of them were even female, the Vak Rishi. There are so many rishis who were female. So in the spiritual pursuit, there was no distinction of gender. All had the right to go to that spiritual illumination. That was a human right. But at the same time, it, that all the spiritual knowledge was not at the cost of secular knowledge. We find excellence in all fields of knowledge. Maths, astronomy, the present day, mathematics, the decimal system is a product of the Vedic society. Not only that, if you have so many, this, the, the trigonometry, uh, the geometry, everything came from that Vedic society. Aryabhatta, there were so many rishis who were well-versed in the so-called present scientific knowledge. Susruta, from who, who is considered as the father of surgery. Astronomy was well-developed. Metallurgy, the iron pillars without any rust still standing. All those speaks of that knowledge even in the secular field. So the Vedic society was a knowledge society, whether it is a secular knowledge or it is a spiritual knowledge. The entire society was a knowledge society. And that's what the word Bharata means. Bha means effulgence. Knowledge speaks of effulgence. Rata speaks of endeavor. A society whose entire endeavor is focused on knowledge. Bharata is Bharata. So that's the knowledge society 
we get when we don't overemphasis the spiritual knowledge from and and just shadow the secular knowledge both have their place both have the importance if i feel like enjoying the world well go out enjoy but in an integrated first be an integrated person with that integrity go and enjoy that will give you the stability and that will bring you to the precipice from where you can go no further and then you have to look up for so that the another portal opens up for you and transmuting transforming you to that spiritual dimension of existence and that was a complete way of life and that's why these both the vidyas were given importance and that's what we find the rishis and sari that there are two types of knowledge don't just don't think of going to that knowledge directly so in the second chapter of the first mundaka the, this, there are three uh, uh, parts in mundaka upanishad each part has two chapters so in the second chapter of the first mundaka we find it's just describing the rituals in as a synopsis why that yes that you with the rituals can enjoy life here here even here after all the good what uh, uh, all the results from the good actions which you accrue that can take you to the heaven but know it for certain that is not eternal there's a wonderful idea in the vedas even if you go to the heaven with all your good karmas the result of the good karmas are will come to an end at one time or other and then again you have to come down so in the second chapter it is mentioned nakasya prishte te sukrite anubhutva imam lokam hinataram va vishanti nakasya prishte you may reach the heaven the nakasya prishta with your good deeds but once you have realized anubhutva you will again come down to this lok imam lokam to this lok hinataram va or you may go down still to the lower planes of existence if the store of your so called bad karmas are uh, quite heavy it can take you even to the lower planes of existence so that's the thing that with with all the so called yagya with all the rituals you can never attain immortality that's the thing in the upanishads we find is very significant it is not only the good deeds of life it is not only the rituals or even the good deeds that alone entails freedom freedom comes by getting getting identified with the spiritual dimension of our existence that alone can enter that can severe the bond of ignorance and that alone can enter liberation and after indicating the limitation of the karma kanda in the first mundaka in the second mundaka we'll start with a description of that spiritual dimension of existence with the sublime poetry that just the way the sfuling the sparks come out of the fire the entire existence came out from the brahman tade tat satyam yatha sudiptat pavakat vishfura vishfulinga this vishfulinga means all the sparks sahasrapavadas innumerable such sparks come out from the fire तथा अक्षरात विविधा सौम्य भावा प्रजायन्ते तत्र चैवापि यन्ति फ्रॉम दैट अल्टीमेट रियलिटी एवरीथिंग हैज केम फोर्थ एंड एट लास्ट 
everything is going to merge in it. So with that poetry, it starts. And then it gives a spiritual interpretation. We will, when we are, when we will going, we will go to the mantras. Then we will describe them vividly, and just to have an overview, uh, what the Upanishad contents are. So in the second mundaka, we find that the Upanishad is trying to give a spiritual interpretation of the creation, of the universe, of the our life as a human being, and our actions. What the spiritual intonations are behind this creation, behind universe behind our life, behind our actions. And at last, in this Mundaka Upanishad, it will say that as a discipline of attaining the knowledge of Brahman, some practice has to be there. So there, the meditation on Om is, has been described vividly. That thinking of this, this Om as the Vachaka of the Absolute Reality. Om as the name of the absolute reality. Why it is the name of that absolute reality? We will come to the discussion again when we go to the mantras. By holding on to that, it can result in destruction of all doubts, of all ignorance. And the very oft-quoted mantra of the Mundaka Upanishad, Vidyate Ridaya Granthi, that speaks of the purpose of meditation on Om. What will it result in? Vidyate Ridaya Granthi. All the knots of your heart will be destroyed. They will be cut asunder. Vidyate Ridaya Granthi. Shidyante Sarva Sankshaya. It will destroy your doubt. Kshiyante Chasya Karmani. All the results of your action, which are still you have as the Sanchita Karma, they all will be destroyed. Kshiyante. Tasmin Drishte Paravare. Once you come as if face to face with the truth, here we find the Upanishad speaks of realization that religion is not mere belief. That as I believe in a God or believe in a prophet, and that entails liberation. Upanishad never agrees to that fact. That if Jesus was a prophet, you have to be the prophet. The prophet's soul is in us. If, as Shankaracharya says, that if I am hungry, you take food. My hunger is not appeased. My belief in uh, one who has taken food is in no way going to appease my hunger. So here the Upanishads asserts the fact that realization is not only something restricted to the so-called prophets or the illumined souls. It is the uh, property, the treasure for the entire humanity. We all can reach that state. And that's what the Upanishad is asserting. And when that happens, then alone, alone the destruction of all doubt, of all ignorance is possible. So that's what is will be described in the second mundaka. The last part, the third mundaka, that will be that what it, uh, what it, it starts with, that the individual soul is separated from the Brahman because of ignorance. That's the idea. But actually, there's only one consciousness, the Brahman, the breathe Hatu from that word Brahman has came, that is appearing as many. And when it is appearing as many, we find that each entity thinks itself to be a segregated existence, as if separate from Brahman, separate from the entire existence. And that is the ignorance. Because of ignorance, because of Ajnana, we fill our consciousness to be something local, which is actually non-local, 
So all suffering entails from this ignorance. The moment I cut off myself from the entire existence, I think myself only this limited body-mind complex. Then what happens? Anything that happens to the body-mind complex, I think it is happening to me. And that entails in suffering. That suppose you are in a cinema hall, you're in a theater, and there's an announcement that in the car park, in one corner of the car park, it, there's a fire. It may engulf the entire parking lot in no time. The cars will be destroyed and we don't know who has placed the car where. So please, we have to stop the, uh, th this theater, theatrical show just now. Please move out, save your car. All are running, tensed, having that worry, most probably my car is in fire. And at last they find, no, that the fire most probably is in some corner of the car park. It has not affected any car park. The cars are all safe. But what made them worry? That most probably my car is on fire. So that made them suffer. So we have parked our car, our existence in the parking lot of this body-mind senses. And when the body-mind senses is on fire, I think I am on fire. And that entails all the suffering. So this identification with the body-mind complex entails all suffering. So it is the ignorance which segregates us from the, our absolute reality and makes us identified with the psychophysical existence, which in turn results in all suffering. And through the knowledge of the oneness of the Brahman and my this individual, when this individuality merges in that absolute, that entails in overcoming all the grief. That's the only way we can overcome all sorrow and find fulfillment in life by rediscovering the innate greatness, the Mahato Mahiyan, the greater than the greatest, the one who is residing in me. So that's the uh, knowledge which helps us to disidentify ourselves from this body-mind complex and get identified with our real nature, which is the Brahman, which is the only conscious, non-dual consciousness, which alone exists, is the only isness. With that, we become identified. And how to reach that state? The Upanishad is very, again, it is asserting, not by believing, not by mere study of the scriptures, not by hearing, not through intellect, it is only through intense yearning. When you have intense yearning to realize the truth, the one who has intense yearning, to him the truth reveals. And that famous mantra will come in that last portion of the Mundaka Upanishad. Nayam atma pravachanena labhyo na medhaya na vahunasrutena yame vaisha vrinute tena labhya tasyaisa atma vivrinute tanomsyam. Now this line, the Bhaktas translate is that on whom the God's grace dawn, they alone can be liberated. Yame Vaisha, the one, the one whom he chooses, Yvrinute. And the Jnani translates in a different way. They say the one who chooses to realize that truth, he can realize. Both are truth. Unless God wills, it's really very difficult to divert our focus from the distractions of life and to have that endeavor 
for spiritual unfoldment. It's very difficult. To a certain extent, the God's grace is required. If I find anyone is having that sanskara that of contemplation, of meditation, of uh, diving deep into the core of his being, know it for certain that it is not a self-effort alone. So many factors are there. With all my yearning, if I am in a circumstance where everyone is quarreling, fighting, disturbance, constant uh, barbarism in the name of religion is going on, where do you get chance for your fructifying of your this inner parasite? So you need a this external circumstances which is not in your hand that also is required. But know it for certain that these two are complementary. If you have the yearning, you, all, you will be gravitated to a circumstance where you will find everything is favorable. That speaks of as if the God's grace. It is not you who yourself have chosen that. Your endeavor has taken you there. Just the way is one who is very good in his studies very good in his studies. His good grades enables him to get admitted, say, in the medical college. Now, once that student, he or she gets admitted in the medical college, the entire medical college is not the product of the student's endeavor. His good grades are, of course, the product of his endeavor, but the entire college is not the product of his endeavor. It is a collective effort of the entire society there's a tax which we all pay, you all pay. With that, that college has been made. It has been, it is all the professors, the, all the uh, establishments, everything, the infrastructure is the collective effort. It is my effort, my eagerness in my studies that has taken me there. So now you will find that grace and purushakara, these two are always complementary. So in our life also, that if I have, that in this life, I don't have favorable circumstances, but have the yearning, that yearning will enable me to take birth in a family, in a circumstances, where I will find my spiritual practice is favorable. That as it has been mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, it's mentioned in the Upanishad. So both the translations are correct. When the Bhakta says it is by God's grace, yes, but unless I have the yearning, I can never get all the favorable circumstances, which is which speaks of the grace. I myself have never got it. I have been gravitated there. I have been taken up there. So both are true. So once you choose it, know it for certain, God's grace is there to dawn upon you to make your spiritual journey fruitful. So it is not merely by intellectualism, nayamatma pravachanena, by mere discussion, medhaya, by intellect, or by Bahunasrutena, if you go on by hearing, if all those doesn't enkindle my inner spirit to endeavor in life, to practice what I hear in life, all this have it doesn't discourage Prabhachana, it doesn't discourage Medha. They are all good, but we shouldn't be satisfied just with them. They should motivate us to practice. So that's why it has been told that it is not by mere intellectualism you can attain that. That intellectualism should motivate you to that deep uh, spiritual understanding, which only can be is only possible through practice. So that's why the one who chooses, he alone can 
as if realize the truth face to face tasyaisa atma vivrinute the atma vivrinute means opens up the atma the ignorance is covering now the atma opens up and we see the realize face to face in the words of ramakrishna je chai she pai je na chai take baro bhute na chai he ramakrishna was expert in playing pun with words je in bengali je chai the one who wants she pai he gets je na chai the one who doesn't want take baro bhute na chai he will be made to dance in the with the whims of baro bhuta means this all the propensities of the world your this indriyas they the, they will drag you outside and make you dance as if the varied ghosts of the sensual enjoyment that will make you dance it is not that you are dancing on your own will they will make you dance so just see what a nice pun with words he made jay chai shepai and that's the idea which we find in this mantra so the upanishad concludes with this idea that it is a practice unless you have the inclination for practice inclination to purify your mind to internalize the spiritual truths and you just try to delve into the upanishad texts of the upanishads just for academic interest the upanishad is warning please don't do that it will be of no avail you may think you are developing spiritually but it is just the development of your intellectuality it in no way helps you to evolve spiritually so with that warning that the knowledge of brahman must not be pursued by one who is not already observed the religious discre- uh, religious duties and that way have purified his mind and who has not practiced concentration it is not for them so you have to develop those qualities So then only you if this upanishad can be fruitful this knowledge can be fruitful in your life otherwise it will be just a mere intellectual knowledge which won't which is of no avail which won't help you in any way so that's the overall view of the upanishad now as we go mantra by mantra this each mantra has its own inner hidden meaning we will elaborate on them discuss on them to have there's what you say this through the process of discussion we will have this manana resulting in nididhyasana that's why that's what the study is meant for so in the next class we will enter into the text so that with the help of the text we can have manana and nididhyasana that way the studying itself will become a process of contemplation so with these words we uh, just end our discussion today thank you all namaskars again meet you in the next class